Please rise for the reading of God's Word from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, beginning and verse 1 and reading through verse 20. Hear now God's Word. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was, uh, was governing Syria, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went, went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing uh, that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had, that, that they had heard and seen as it was told them. And thus far, the reading of God's Word and all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I'm going to give you a Christmas gift today, which is a short sermon. Now, this is a story that we just read that you and I have heard many times. And there's very little in today's sermon that is original for me. But as we see in the Bible, what we see is God tells us the same things. Over and over, he tells us the essential things, the important things, the things that we need to have in our bones, the stories that we need to remember, what is critical for us. And so I have gathered some insights from several others over the years to take us on a short tour through this familiar story and perhaps see a few things that we haven't noticed before. The Christmas story is not a fairy tale. It's, an, it's actual history. And it's important for us and our children to make that clear distinction. The birth of Jesus is central to the plan of God. It is central to his story. Theologian Herman Bavink observed the incarnation of God is the end of Israel's history and the center of all human history. This is not just the story about Joseph, Mary, the baby, the shepherds, and the three wise men. 
This is a story about the whole world. This is a story that includes you. That includes me. And so we must always read this story not only as real history, but in fact as the central historical event. This is the event that changed the world and is still changing the world. I like to remind you, I've done this several times recently, but what we see in the news, what we hear day by day, is not all the news. It's not reporting everything that's actually going on. There are billions of things going on that we don't hear about at all. And the work of God and the work of His kingdom is going on in the four corners of the earth every single day. And cable news doesn't care about that. So don't be discouraged. God is at work in remarkable and powerful ways and has been throughout history. And so, we must read this story as central. This is the event that is changing the world continually. We have the advantage of being able to see how this this historical event unfolded in the past and is still unfolding. We had 4,000 years of history that led up to this event. That, in fact, was pointing to this event, the birth of Christ. And we have had a little over 2,000 years of history that have followed that event. And our text itself makes it clear, again, that this is rooted in human history. Dorothy Sayers describes it this way. The Christian story starts off briskly in St. Matthew's account with a place and a date. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, St. Luke still more practically and prosaically pins the thing down to a reference to a piece of government finance. God, he says, was made man in the year when Caesar Augustus was taking a census in connection with a scheme of taxation. Similarly, we might date an event by saying that it took place in the year that Great Britain went off the gold standard. About 33 years later, we are informed, God was executed for being a political nuisance. Under Pontius Pilate, much as we might say when Mr. Joyston Hicks was Home Secretary, it is as definite and concrete as all of that. And thus it is very important for us to look beyond the surface of the story. We must see past the child's version. We must notice the enormity of the events. N.T. Wright provides some interesting insights on this passage, and much of what I want to share with you comes from some of his commentary on this text, and I found it very uh, exciting to think about, and I hope you will too. Like pointing at some object, instead of looking at the object, sometimes the dog looks at your finger. It's remarkable how many times people in the Old Testament missed the point. It is remarkable how many times even the disciples of Jesus missed the point. And it remains remarkable how we can still miss the point. And so this Christmas morning, let's consider this familiar story. Let me begin by asking you if you know 
Which animals were present at the nativity of Jesus? You have that picture in your head? Well, it turns out we're not even sure there were any animals present at the nativity. It's possible that there were some, but the Bible doesn't tell us that. We've imported those details, and while it might have been the case, we don't know that for sure. Just as we can easily add details to the story, it is also possible for us to miss some of the details that are in the story. For example, why has Luke mentioned the manger three times in this story? Why was it so significant? First, God providentially creates the situation. I thought about this morning as we read the Westminster Shorter Catechism on the providence of God. It was very appropriate for the sermon Perhaps this situation, because there was no room in the inn, and here they are in a stable, and perhaps this was frustrating to Mary and Joseph, which forces them to stay where there was a manger for the baby to be laid in. Imagine yourself in their situation. You're traveling, your wife's pregnant, and you're expecting a hotel room. And instead, you're going to sleep in a barn tonight. God pays attention to the details of our lives, and even when the circumstances are inconvenient for us, He is still at work. He just he wanted Jesus to be laid in a manger, even if that's not what His parents wanted. And we should remember that God's plans are better than ours. He's always doing more than we imagine. Again, I'm not sure who said it, but a uh, quote of... Uh, When we see God doing three things, He's doing 10,000 things. Proverbs 16.9, A man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. So that's the first thing. God God has a plan, and God's providence is at work. And second, one of the reasons it was important for Jesus to be in the manger is that we are told that that this is what told the shepherds what child this was. They had been given some special information regarding this child, where he could be found, and how they would know it was him. He didn't have a halo. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And so the whole story of the birth of Jesus is filled with signs. An obscure young virgin, poor and common, had been prophesied about, a a descendant of King David through his father Joseph. Poor shepherds told of his birth and led to the first, uh, led to first to acknowledge, they were the first to acknowledge him to be the savior of the world. And there are many more signs given in the details of this story as it unfolds. Third, in addition to the manger being assigned to the shepherds, to the right place, the arrival of the shepherds provided additional confirmation to Mary and Joseph. Until the shepherds arrived, it was only Mary and Joseph who knew the secret. 
It's likely that the shepherds, like other Jews at the time, would have known what a Messiah, Messiah or Savior was to do, which can reason, we can reasonably imagine that there was a pretty long conversation between the shepherds and Joseph and Mary about all that had happened to bring them together. But now Joseph and Mary had already come to expect unusual things. So let's step back a little and see what else was going on. Let's see the bigger picture. You might recall that Augustus, who was the adopted son of Julius Caesar, rose to power and prominence, having overpowered all of his rivals, including Mark Antony, who committed suicide shortly after his defeat in the Battle of Actium in 31 B.C. Rome had now become a great empire. Augustus declared that he had brought justice and peace to the whole world, and he also declared his adoptive father, Julius Caesar, to be divine. And this meant, of course, that Augustus was the Son of God. The people saw him as a savior of the world in much the same way that people look to government to be their savior. He was the king, he was the Lord, and he was literally worshipped. Now at the same time, a baby boy who was born a few years later would be hailed the Son of God. His followers would also speak to him as Savior and Lord. They would think that he had brought justice and peace to the world as well. And later Luke will describe him standing before the Roman governor Pontius Pilate who represented the emperor. As Luke writes his gospel, he certainly had in mind, uh, had this in mind when he described how the emperor in Rome decides to take a census of the whole domain, and this is what brings Jesus to be born in the city that is linked to King David. What we can see is that the birth of this little boy is setting the stage for a confrontation between two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of the world. Remember and think of the detailed providence of God. All the pieces of the world being moved in just the right time and the right place. These two rival sons. Augustus never personally knew about Jesus, but within a century, his successors would not only have heard of Jesus, they also would have launched an all-out effort to destroy him and his followers. Nevertheless, within three centuries, the emperor, himself, the emperor himself would declare himself to be a Christian. The Roman Empire is fallen. All that remains are ruins and stories. The kingdom of Christ marches on today, bigger and better than ever. If we simply had the snapshot, the Christmas card picture of the manger scene, set over against the historical snapshot of Caesar Augustus, and then we were asked to take those two snapshots and finish the stories of those two, None of us would have gotten it right. 
As the seventh trumpet sounds in Revelation chapter 11, we read the powerful words that comprise the basis for Handel's great Christmas anthem, the Hallelujah Chorus. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry. And your wrath has come. And the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants and prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, great and small, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. And never, never, never forget that you are part of this story. Your birth was also planned. This Savior, who was born in a manger over 2,000 years ago, came for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your Son and our Lord to not only save us, but to rule the world with truth and grace and to make the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. Thank you for the promises that yet remain, wherein you have said, Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Amen. As we contemplate the baby that was born to Mary, everyone is forced to ask, what child is this? William C. Dix wrote the famous Christmas hymn in 1865 and answered this very well. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. Why lies he in such mean estate where ox and ass are feeding? Good Christians fear, for sinners hear, 
The silent word is pleading. Nails, spears shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. Come, peasant king, to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Raise, raise a song on high. The virgin sings her lullaby. Joy, joy, for Christ is born, the babe, the son of Mary. Amen. Blessing and honor and glory and power be to our God for your love that is revealed in the Word made flesh. We are grateful that you came among us and shared our humanity, filling Mary with the life of the divine. We praise you for our salvation, for bringing joy and peace into our world through Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ has entered our darkness with his great light. He comes as our God and yet as a child. Lord, help us and your whole church to walk as children of the light. Teach us to see your presence in each other, to be aware that what we do to each other, we do to you. We give thanks for the words spoken by the prophets, but above all, for the word made flesh dwelling among us. May your whole church proclaim this good news with joy. Almighty God, give us wisdom to perceive you and intelligence to understand you, diligence to seek you patience to wait for you, and vision to behold you, a heart to meditate upon you, and a life to proclaim you, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Merry Christmas.